Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And after Pharaoh heard Joseph say, no, God will give Pharaoh an answer. And after watching Joseph give Pharaoh an answer, the question was, hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Did you hear what I said, Pharaoh? And even though Pharaoh saw Joseph give him an answer, did Pharaoh hear Joseph when Joseph said to Pharaoh, God was going to give Pharaoh an answer? And the hearest thou not question was answered when Pharaoh said in Genesis 41, 38 through 39, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can you picture the scene? He gets his interpret, he gets interpretation. Wow. He's impressed. He said, that's right. And the servant said, yep, that's right, boss. And so then he turns to his servant and says, what do you think? Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet and as wise as thou art. So he starts off in verse 15 and calling Joseph the man that can understand a dream to interpret it. And Pharaoh, here's Joseph, interpret it, but he ends by saying, this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. And he said, God has showed you all this. Pharaoh heard. Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Yes, he heard. And by hearing, Pharaoh was converted. Why? He was converted to Elohim, and when Pharaoh ordered all of Egypt to be under the man in whom the spirit of Elohim is, Pharaoh was moving his country to convert to Elohim. And the hearest thou not question for Pharaoh was, would Pharaoh see beyond Joseph to see that it was God who gave him the answer to his dream? Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Yes. Yes, Pharaoh would say, I see beyond Joseph. I see beyond Joseph to God who gave me the answer to my dream through Joseph. And an Egyptian steward later in Joseph's house also heard when Joseph's brethren were as desperate and anxious as Pharaoh and reaching out for help to this Egyptian steward because they found their money that they had paid for the grain was still in their bags. And he said to them, the Egyptian steward, in uh, Genesis 43, 23, he said, peace be unto you. See, Pharaoh had no peace. These brothers had no peace. He says, peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you the treasure in your sacks. And then he said, I had your money. Well, which one's true? I mean, here the Egyptian steward was the one who put the money in their sacks. He says, I had your money in Genesis 43, 23. But the Egyptian steward tells them, you're Elohim. And the Elohim of your father, he gave you the treasure in your sacks. But it was the steward who gave the treasure in their sacks. But he said, God gave the treasure. Which one's true? 
Did the steward give the treasure into their sacks or did God do it? It's the same question. Hearest thou not? Hearest thou not, Joseph brothers? Can you hear? Would you see beyond the steward to see God using the steward to give the money into you, back to you? And then there was that infamous night when Esau, who had vowed to kill Jacob, you know, Jacob leaves home, the last thing he hears from his mother, he says, you better get out of here. Your brother, he's gonna come, the only comfort that's coming to your brother is when he stands over your dead body. He says, so you better leave. That's the last thing he hears about his, his brother. He's the kid brother. Anyway, so, so the infamous night when Esau, who's vowed to kill Jacob, is coming to Jacob, he's got 400 men with him. And somehow Jacob thinks, it doesn't sound like they wanna make a party. <laughs> and on that night, Jacob is as desperate and anxious as Pharaoh was with his uninterpreted dream. On that night, Jacob is as anxious and desperate as Joseph's brothers were when they stole the money. They didn't, it looked like they were going to be accused of stealing the money. And Jacob is reaching out for help and he wrestles with a man all night long to get that man to help him with a blessing. And that man helps Jacob by changing his name to Israel. And afterward, Jacob knows that when he had looked into the face of that man, he knew who he saw. He saw God. And so Jacob calls the name of that place Peniel, which means face of God. And Jacob realizes that man that I saw, that was God. And he said in Genesis 32, 30, Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. and My life is preserved. And when he meets Esau, he finds Esau is at peace with him. And the question for Jacob is, hearest thou not Jacob? Can you hear Jacob? Which is really a question of, Jacob, do you see beyond Esau? Do you see beyond Esau to God who made Esau to be at peace with you? And Jacob gave his answer to the hearest thou not question when he said to Esau in Genesis 33.10, I have seen thy face as though... I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Hearest thou not, Jacob? Jacob replies, yes, I hear. When my brother replied to me, it was, it was as though I saw the face of God smiling at me, and I knew that God was pleased with me. Because when I grabbed a hold of the man who was God, the man who was Jehovah Jesus, and told him that I wouldn't let him go until he blessed me, pleased God. And because I pleased God by grabbing a hold and pleading for a blessing, God made my enemy, Esau, to be at peace with me. Like it says in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And when anyone grabs a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ in the state of anxious desperation and calls him Lord, that person pleases God. And the question, hearest thou not Jacob? Jacob heard as he saw beyond Esau to God, who made Esau to be at peace with him. Now there's a Moabite named Ruth, who was as desperate, as anxious as Pharaoh with his uninterpreted dream, who was as desperate, as anxious as Joseph's brother when they were about to be accused of stealing money, who was as desperate, as anxious as Jacob when he heard his brother is going to come to murder him. And this Ruth reaches out in her desperation and her anxiety to God, anxiety, she reaches out to God and she tells Naomi, I'm gonna go and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. That's a prayer. And in verse eight, when she sees the man, 
with grace in his eyes, the first thing she hears him say is, hearest thou not my daughter? And as Ruth hears these words from Boaz, they come to her with a double meaning. Of course, you know, Boaz, you you hear what I'm saying? But she hears God say, do you hear this? Do you hear this, my daughter? God is asking Ruth the question, can you hear in the words of Boaz the answer to your prayer? Can you see beyond Boaz to God? And Ruth is overcome with gratitude to God. It's like Pharaoh, she saw beyond Joseph who got, to God who interpreted a dream. Like Jacob, she saw beyond Esau to God who calmed Esau. Ruth sees now sees beyond Boaz to God who made Boaz show a grace. With these words from Boaz, Ruth now knows the tide's turning, and she's about to receive the rewards of her faithfulness. And so we see it reminds us of the coming day when we'll be like Ruth, the tide will turn, we'll receive the rewards of our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Boaz is a good man, and we see how good he is there in that he cares for Ruth. His first concern was that Ruth should, he sees a lot of needs in Ruth. He says, okay, now first foremost, you stay under my care. You just stay under my care. As he says in verse eight, he says, here is thou not my daughter, go not and glean in another field, neither go from hence. Bide here fast with me. See, in his words, Boaz, we hear the care of the Lord Jesus Christ who wants to take care of us like Boaz wanted to take care of Ruth. Don't wander away. That's a choice. We can wander away, get outside of the umbrella. Ruth could wander away. He says, well, it's just whatever you do, don't wander away. And next we see the care of Boaz as he looks at her work and decides, let me see now, where's the best place for you to work? Where are you going to get the best of it? Oh, I got it. There's no question about it. Best position for you right after my women. They're gathering all the stocks that the men have cut down. Go there. Position yourself right with the gatherers. He gives her advantage in the most productive area. And then we see how Boaz gave to Ruth specific instructions. Specific instructions. Let not thine eyes be on a field they do reap. Go though after them. Have not I charged the young man. They, they won't touch you. When you're thirst, go to vessels. He told her, just follow carefully where my workers go and stay with them. If they move over there, go over there. If they go over there, go over there. And we see how Boaz has looked at Ruth and she's seen the troubled look on her face and he knows she's worried. Those young men, I've seen the way they look at me. I'm afraid they're gonna touch me. They're gonna touch me. And Boaz tells Ruth, you know, don't worry about that. I've told the young man, don't touch her. And we see how Boaz has thought about when Ruth's gonna get thirsty, it's hot out there. And he says to her in verse nine, he says, when thou art a thirst, go to the vessels, drink of which the young men have drawn. And Ruth hears all that Boaz has thought of her. She's just overwhelmed. Boaz, he's provided for all my needs. For her need to feel secure and cared for, Boaz not only welcomes her to his field, he tells her, don't even think of going to another field. I'm gonna be watching out for you. See, for her need to work, and not be degraded into the position of a handout receiver, Boaz has thought of that. He gives her the work to do instead of just giving her a handout. For her need of being productive in her work, Boaz has thought of that, and he says, here's the best position for you. For her need of being protected, Boaz has thought of that, and he's told her, I told the men, don't touch you. 
for her need for water when she's thirsty. Boaz thought of that, and he's told her, you go get the water from the vessels the young men have filled. See, Boaz has anticipated all of her needs and made prior provision for Ruth. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's anticipated all we need. He's provided in advance, just like Boaz did for Ruth. That's the message that came through when we studied the creation in Genesis 1. We saw God anticipating, oh man, he's going to need a place to, you know, I'll make that. Oh, he's going to need a place. I'll make earth. Oh, beautiful earth. Oh, he'll live there. He needs dry land. He's not a fish. Okay, we'll make the dry land. You know, he's not going to be born with, with, uh, with a citizen watch on his wrist. So, you know, he needs a way to tell time. So, I know, uh, we'll put the sun and, and the moon and the stars, and we'll make them the, just go through this rotation. He'll be able to t- track time that way. He's got to know when to celebrate my holidays. Oh, man, he's going to need food. Oh, I'll make some nice food. Oh, I'll make some different kind of fruits. I'll make avocados. I'll make mangoes and pineapples. And I'll, I'll make a lot of wonderful food. I'll make Fuji apples and honey, honey crisp apples. I'll make all those apples. And, and he's going to need, he, and he says, well, you know, he's going to want more than one meal. I'll put some seeds inside the fruit. It'll be self-replicating. Every step of the way, God anticipated what man would need, and God provided just as Boaz anticipated what Ruth would need and provided for Ruth. And then God saw that man was going to sin and be alienated from God and cast into hell for his sins, and God decides, well, okay, then I'll become the perfect sinless sacrifice as a perfect man to die for man's sins so he can be reconciled back to God, bring him back to heaven, and I'm going to make this decision before I even make man. As it says in Revelation 13, 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And as Ruth saw all this care, all this anticipation of her needs, this advanced provision for what she would need, it's just too much for Ruth. It just bowls her over in verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. She's overwhelmed with the kindness of provision of Boaz. She falls on her face. It's not a polite bow from the waist. This is nephal, the Hebrew word. She fell, and this is shacha. This means she made herself flat on the ground. You know, that's what Abraham did in Genesis 18.2 when the God came with the two angels. He, same phrase. He's fallen down there. She, Ruth saw all Boaz had done for her. When we see all that the Lord Jesus Christ had done for us, same response. Fall down and worship. 24 elders. Book of Revelation, verses 10 through 11, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, worship him that liveth forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne, saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And in verse 10, Ruth has just one question for Boaz, just one question. Why? Why? She says, uh, verse 10, she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground. She said unto him, why? Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Ruth's question is just, why? Why? Why have you done all this for me? It's her inner question. But in verse 10, Ruth is using the same words that she told Naomi in verse 2. She said, in whose sight I shall find grace. That's the same thing she says. Why have I done? Why have I found grace in she would find, she, see, that was her phrase. I'm going to find grace in the eyes. In verse 2, she's confident she's going to find grace in the sight of the landowner. Verse 10, 
Ruth told Boaz, she found grace in her eyes. She doesn't know, in his eyes, she doesn't know why. She can't believe it. How come I found grace in his eyes? As a matter of fact, Ruth is astounded. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Clearly, Ruth knew she needed to find grace in a landowner's sight, but when she did find it, she was overwhelmed with why she found the grace, which showed Ruth knew that she needed to find grace, but she knew she didn't deserve the grace. She didn't deserve the grace she found. She looked at herself, and she said at the end of verse 10, seeing I am a stranger. And that's the way it is with us. Like with Ruth, we're all strangers to God. In Ephesians 2.12, that at that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in this world. And we knew that so well. We sinned against God, that God's the source of life. God's the source of peace. God's the source of happiness. And what happened when we sinned? We sacrificed it all. We separated ourselves from God. We separated ourselves from life. We separated ourselves from peace. We separated ourselves from happiness. We knew we needed grace to be reconciled back to God, to find the life, the peace, the happiness that we lost. And we were so aware of our need for grace. But when God saved us, just like with Ruth, we thought, why? So undeserving. And today we follow Ruth in verse 10. If we, before the Lord Jesus Christ, we fall on our face. We say, why have I found grace in thine eyes? Thou should take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger. And we see in verse 10, it was so overwhelming what she also said. She said something here, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me. See, when Ruth heard Boaz go through this list of all that he has done for her, she knew that Boaz had taken knowledge of Ruth's need. She knew that Boaz had taken knowledge of Ruth's need to be welcomed and cared for, so Boaz gave her the assurance that she wasn't only welcome, but she shouldn't go to another field, she should stay there. She knew that Boaz had taken knowledge of Ruth's need to work, not just get a handout, so he gives her work and gives her the most advantageous position. She knew that he had taken knowledge of Ruth's need to be protected from the young man. She didn't say anything about it, but he said, I told him, don't touch you. She knew that Boaz had taken knowledge of her need for water. She didn't say anything about that, but he said, there's water for you. So when Ruth heard Boaz had made all these provisions for her, she knew that he had taken knowledge of her, and the Hebrew word that Ruth used for taking knowledge of is a very special word, nakar. And when Ruth came back to Naomi in verse 19, Naomi used the same Hebrew word nakar to express that someone had taken knowledge of you, Ruth. When she said in verse 19, her mother-in-law said unto her, Why, where hast thou gleaned today? What, where wrottest thou? Blessed be he that hath nakar taken knowledge of thee. See, what's the meaning of this word, nakar? We find the meaning of Nakar where it was used in the history of Joseph and Jacob when Joseph's bloody, torn-up coat of many colors was presented to Jacob to see if he, Nakar, recognized it. And in Genesis 37, 31 through 33, it says, and they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and they said, this has we found. No, Nakar. Now, whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew, Nakar. He knew it and said, it's my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph, without doubt, ran in pieces. See, the brothers sent the coat of many colors, torn up bloody, and asked their father, Nakarit. 
Whether I be thy son's code. This is not card. What does that mean? In other words, study it carefully. Scrutinize it. Look it over. Oh boy, can we see Jacob doing that or what? I mean, Jacob seeing that bloody torn up coat is saying to him, says, no, I hope it's not. And it's not Joseph's coat. I'm going to make sure it's not Joseph's coat. I'm really going to nakar this coat so that my hope can be true. It's not Joseph's. And it says that Jacob did just that in verse 33. It's a, he nakarred it. He knew it. And we see the scene. I mean, Jacob, he takes the bloody coat, the bloody torn up coat, and he nakars it very carefully. He imagines what happened to Joseph inside this coat. He imagines that Joseph's being torn to pieces. He nakars the inside of the coat. He imagines what Joseph did in his last minutes of life. He feels all over the coat, and he's trying to feel his son Joseph. He's nakaring it. He smells the coat. He tries to smell Joseph. He did all this because he nakarred the coat. He scrutinized every bit of it. That's the word that Ruth uses here to describe what Boaz did to her. He said, and what Boaz said to her, that how Boaz had taken knowledge of her dilemma, he took knowledge of her dilemma of which field she's going to go to collect food in. He took knowledge of her dilemma of where in the field she's going to collect food. He took knowledge of her dilemma of how she's going to be protected from the young men. He took knowledge of her dilemma of what to do when she's thirsty. See, that was so impressed to Ruth that Boaz Nakar, she took knowledge of her dilemma of this and that and the other thing. And Ruth knew that Boaz was a busy man and that her dilemmas were not his dilemmas. He had his own dilemmas. And they weren't his dilemmas. Her dilemmas were not his dilemmas. But he took knowledge of her dilemmas. And so Ruth says that she fells down and bows herself to the ground in verse 10 and said to him, why have I found grace that thou shouldst nakar? You take knowledge of me? See, I'm a stranger? See, that word nakar, it says it all of how Boaz carefully studied Ruth's dilemmas. Or nakar is what, what Mary meant when she responded back to the angel who told her, you're going to give birth to the Holy One of God. God the Son has become a man. He can come to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was despised. When Mary heard that, she was like Ruth, and she expressed in the spirit of Nakar that God had taken knowledge of her when she said in Luke 1, 47 through 49, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath Nakar, he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done great things to me, and holy is his name. See, Mary said, he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaidens. He took knowledge of my low estate. He nakarred my low estate. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for Mary. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He nakarred us. He took knowledge of us. He nakard studied our dilemmas carefully. He nakard studied our dilemmas, and they were not his dilemmas. But in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And at verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. In Isaiah 53, 11, my righteous servant shall justify many, he shall bear their iniquities. In Isaiah 53, 12, he bare the sin of many. He first nakard. He took knowledge of the dilemma of our griefs. They weren't his griefs. They were our griefs. But then he made our griefs his griefs as he bore our griefs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for such a great Savior. And in this little picture this morning, Lord, we pray that 
we would see in Ruth our desperate, anxious, helpless condition. And we would see in Boaz the man who took knowledge of us and cared for us. And we see that in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, we say, why? Why have we found grace in your sight and you've taken knowledge of us? In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.